This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. external triggers like loud, bright lights and a lot of things in the external environment. And it can also be things that we take into our body, like caffeine, for example, can be a big trigger that can lead to panic attacks. Or it might just be something that in the environment that your body has deemed as dangerous and maybe it's more on a subconscious level. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll discuss how to fix ourselves together. We'll find out how to stop a panic attack. We'll learn about lockdown fitness trends. And lastly, we'll explore what the pandemic has taught us about the restaurant industry. But first, a little bit of business. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. Matt Rosenblatt is a partner in Cityscape Development Corp. He owns and operates the Boiler House, Pure Spirits Oyster Bar and Grill, Arkeo Trattoria, El Catrin Distillieria, and Clooney Bistro. And I'm sure I've mispronounced it and you're going to give me an earful. He's also one of the creators of the hugely successful Christmas Market and Toronto Light Festival in the Distillery District, which I'm sure will be sadly missed this year. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? I am Fantastic. So do you know why I brought you in today? You think you know, but you probably don't know. I don't. Okay. So <laughs> so you are by far one of the most optimistic people that I know, which I find a rare thing. Maybe there's people who surround themselves with optimists, but you know me as one of the world's great pessimists. So <laughs> when I speak to you, I see the whole world in a different light. And I think your perspective is greatly needed right now. So that's why you're here today. Finally, there's a moment and I need it. <laughs> but unfortunately, we live during challenging times. And so, you know, where I want to start this conversation about sort of how we fix ourselves, which is how I framed it, is obviously, you know, there are physical dangers that have been presented by COVID-19 and some people call it the pandemic, but I call it the plague. But, you know, you and I have had discussions and I think there are other sort of impacts that COVID is causing. Would you agree with that? Oh, I mean, yeah, and it's just everywhere you look, if you're looking for those types of things, and even if you're not looking for those types of things. I mean, if you take things just like the top level socioeconomic impacts, they're staggering. We're thinking Canada, about 225,000 businesses could close. Yeah. And so the people that it does close, those businesses close, I mean, they have one type of impact and another who they're not going to close, but those people are worried about it closing. That's overwhelming. I think it's not hard to imagine people are worried about not being able to pay their mortgage or if they lose their job. How can you find a new job in this environment? Again, overwhelming. If you lose your job, you might lose other things that you have. And if you lose those things, then you're into food. I think one third of Canadians feel they'll never financially recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. I think I have a couple mental health stats here too. 
81% of Canadians reported that the pandemic is negatively impacting their mental health. 92% of workers felt burned out in November. 71% gained weight in the last year, and that created more stress, more fatigue, lower self-esteem. And then if you get to the people who are really, really suffering, and it's not a mindset issue, local charities are seeing more demand, less funding and volunteers, one in seven Canadians are experiencing food insecurity. The demand for these food banks is up by about 200%. The people who use the food banks, 43% of those people, after they use the food bank, they still go hungry about one day a week. And I think the average food bank user has just $8 a day to pay for everything after they pay their rent. I mean, it's all just hard to imagine. From the top to the bottom, it doesn't matter what your religion, where you are in the society, people are suffering. Those are just a few of the stats. And, you know, that's COVID, right? And we can all point to COVID as causing all these horrific and and catastrophic changes in the way we function. But I think that's just, dare we call it the icing on the cake? I mean, I think there's so many other things that are going on that we're already sort of dealing with on a day-to-day basis. I I mean, you and I can riff on them. I mean, one thing is the political unrest with our friends to the South. I mean, I think that impacts the entire world. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, No, definitely. And I, you know, that just, you know, that's about faith and systems and belief. And, you know, is your government going to be there for you if you need it? That sort of not knowing it again is adding uh, to people's powerlessness and hopelessness and just being, more overwhelmed and when you're overwhelmed it's really hard to do anything because you're stuck yeah and you know okay so there's the political discourse but you touched upon something it's sort of we live in an age where there's eroding faith in the pillars of our society okay and and you know if you ask the average person on the street you know maybe 10 years ago you know, they, they may have one sort of area that's, you know, their their favorite scratching post, right? Like uh, some people felt, you know, it was the media. The media is the problem. You know, they're not reporting correctly. Or maybe it's the judiciary. The court system is rigged. Or maybe it's taxation. Or maybe it's the way our parliamentary government is operated or, you know, whatever it is. People felt that it wasn't working properly. But I think we live in an age where I don't think there's overlying faith in any institution or arm of our sociopolitical structure that isn't subject to some sort of diminished view in the public. And I find that shocking to me. And I I actually think Trump is entirely responsible for the quickening of that erosion. Well, I think no doubt in the States, he's partly responsible. I mean, I think they've been chipping away on that Republican constituency through the media for, you know, decades. But, I mean, he took it from one place. He took that maybe pilot light and he, you know, he turned it into a flamethrower. And that's, I think, affected everyone. But, yeah, there's lots of problems. And then there's lots of problems that the way we view things. Yeah. Like, for instance, Canada's one of the most or wins the, you know, most livable country in the world. And Toronto often wins the most livable city in the world. But we're finding ourselves, you know, overwhelmed here and seeing all these problems. And both can be true at the same time. So uh, my grandmother, who used to have very little, you know, she said when I was growing up, you know, you friends are you're always talking about what makes you happy and what makes you unhappy. She said when I was growing up, 
Nobody had those conversations. We were just worried about eating. <laughs> so, you know, the time that we have and the luxury that we have to think and to talk and to make things better, you know, a lot of that atmosphere and oxygen is being used, but maybe we're not using it also in the right way. And maybe we're talking a little bit too negatively and not doing enough of the work to make the changes that we need to change, which is, I think, why people are having those conversations. So so as the resident optimist in this conversation, again, I'm reminding you of your role here, because <laughs> I've sucked you into my vortex for the last five minutes. Uh, uh, I'm just being nice. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like to see? Let's talk about your utopia. Where would you like to see people going? Well, I think I, I'm a mindset guy. I, you know, I was born into uh, you know, a super positive, super optimistic family. I think that might even be in part of the genes. I know things that I just, for some reason, people, I think they know, but they forgot. And when we were five years old, nobody had to tell us how to go play in the sandbox. And, you know, they told us a few rules and we went in there. We didn't overthink it. We started playing. We started having fun. We started creating. We didn't care what we were going to create. We didn't have anxiety about, oh, what am I going to create in that sandbox? We just played and we just enjoyed it. When we got into conflicts with the other kids, we figured out how to make it work. We didn't hold grudges and then we kept playing again. We knew these things when we were kids, but I think life gets complicated and people forget things. I think we can get back to simple rules, simple learning, curiosity, taking responsibility. And it all starts with a couple things. One, you can't do those things if you don't have the basic necessities. So I'm not talking about the people who don't have food and they don't have a place to live and they're not safe. I mean, that's, those aren't mindset issues. Those people, the rest of us, the privileged who don't have to worry about those problems, we have to help them. The rest of us, if you're not stuck, you have to get the other people unstuck. And that starts with not being overwhelmed. And not being overwhelmed starts with just simple things, simple, small steps. For instance, if you're not happy, one of the things to do is you can actually fake a smile. I know know it sounds crazy, and that's not going to change the world, but big, huge changes, they start with really small steps. And sometimes when things seem impossible, you don't want to give people big obligations. You start small. Make a phone call to someone else. Say thank you for something that they did. It's a nice thing to do. It's positive reinforcement for them to do more things. And for you, when you express gratitude, again, it's positive for you and you feel good about it. If we start doing small little things like this, where's the failure? What could go wrong? More kindness, more quality, seeing more people, more appreciation. When people see this going on, they get inspired. They want to join in. You know, if you're around negative people, Mm -hmm. you know, you know how those conversations go. Someone presents a solution and the negative people want to tell you all about the reasons how it won't work. Right. And when you ask them what they think, what's their solution, they don't have one. It's a mindset. Obstacles are all over the place. They were before COVID, they're going to be after COVID, and COVID is a massive, massive obstacle. But in all of our life, the places that we grow, it's not the easy times, it's the hard times. And this is a hard time for us individually, as families, as communities, and as a country. And this obstacle, this could be our biggest opportunity. 
ever. I see it in a positive light through the negativity. Yeah, no, that's why I brought you here. I believe you see COVID as a positive opportunity. And I I don't mean it in the sense that, like we all, I know people, I wouldn't say they were thriving, but they've been able, COVID has, has rendered them relatively unscathed in their lives. Like, sure, they're locked down like everybody else, but their businesses don't seem to be negatively impacted. They don't sure. seem to be suffering like other people do. Maybe they have, maybe they're wealthy and then they're able to cope better with, you know, a loss of income or for whatever reason, they seem to be doing fine. I'm not really talking about that. I don't think you are either. I think, no, of course, no, no. The, the tragedy of COVID is an obstacle that we cannot fix. The opportunities lie in things we can fix. So COVID is terrible. And, you know, the vaccine is going to do some things. You know, social distancing does things. But the opportunity that I'm talking about is all those things at the beginning that you were talking about, the political discourse, what people believe, uh, the erosion of belief and faith in our institutions and ourselves, and what we do with our lives, you know, the precious moments. You know, when people haven't been working and they've had time, You know, people are so busy doing things that they don't have time almost to think with all the responsibilities of regular life. Now they're sitting back and they're thinking, do I even like that job? Do I even like my friends? What do I want to do with my life? Those are really important questions to ask yourself. It may be a function of how old we are, right, and and who our contemporaries are. But I've had conversations with a lot of friends and acquaintances, and they all see this as an opportunity for a reset. Like, they all want a reset, right? And they were talking right. about the same sort of things. Like, But, like, even on both a macro level and a micro level, oh, I'm not going to be so consumed with work. Oh, I'm going to do a better job of spending time with my family. Oh, I've decided, you know, I'm not happy with my career or I'm thinking of doing something else. Or, you know, I'm not even happy with the city and I'm going to leave or whatever it is. They have these plans. But I wonder... Uh, how we're going to follow through, right? Because I'm the glass half empty guy. But I, yeah, but yeah. I think I think you have some ideas. I think your well, notion that small steps are what it takes is actually quite crucial. Yeah, and I think you know most of society, you know, they don't know how to follow their dreams the way they might want to. And there's this old little story, you know, there's three frogs on the log. Two of them decide to jump off. How many frogs are on the log? And the answer is actually three, because the other two frogs who were deciding to jump, they were just deciding to jump. They never jumped. Yeah. So in this case, there's you know a lot of good intention here. Yeah. But the people who know how to do things, the people who do do things, it's not that they're special people. They just know and they have a skill. I happen to be one of those people. Yes, you are. I'm no, I'm no smarter than anyone else. No, it's you're actually, not. <laughs> it's actually, but my naivety is I don't know that I shouldn't be doing it or I couldn't be doing it, and yeah. therefore I do it, do it, and it always works. Yep. And when it works, what happens is you get into motion. Once you get into motion, you're learning things that you didn't even know when you first started. And once you're in that motion, you know, you're inspiring other people. You're motivating, like, for instance, your employees and your customers. Your life has more meaning as you're pursuing something. And when you're pursuing something, you don't have to go in any one direction. You learn and you change as you grow. Growth is important. People aren't overwhelmed in growth. They thrive in growth. If we as individuals, as families, as communities, as a city can grow, we grow to the size of our dreams. So hopefully this is the moment where we can actually get together as social networks to build a city that we want and build our own lives that we want. And I think right now is the time 
that we can actually do it and start teaching each other rather than, you know, some of the other things that we teach, you know, whether online or in schools. We can teach the skill of how, you know, to move towards a passionate, meaningful life to help the people in our society that need help to learn how to be happier and healthier. And where's the failure in that if we fail, but we try for it? I agree with you. Will you come back on the show again another time and, and sort of talk us through how those little steps will work? I would love to. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to stop a panic attack on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. You're a genuine health enthusiast listening to this show today. And Activation Products is your dream come true when it comes to living a very long, pain-free, energized life. Your body's craving heirloom nano and micronutrients that you'll use to elevate your whole body's health in ways you had no idea were possible. Activation makes all this possible no matter how old or young you are. The precious time, energy, and money you invest to be healthy is taken very seriously by Activation. It's their responsibility to deliver to you the most efficacious health products available in the world today. People consistently report back the most beautiful health results when they daily consume products from Activation. Treat yourself now and find out what it's like to live in a luxurious body, making every day a joy to be alive. Go to activationproducts.com and subscribe for the most important health information and products. Or call 1-866-271-7595. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Heather Lillico is a registered holistic nutritionist and yoga and meditation instructor. She focuses on mental health, having been overwhelmed by anxiety and depression for most of her adult life. By incorporating nutrients to nourish your mind and mindfulness techniques to slow you down, Heather knows it's possible to get you off the hamster wheel of looping thoughts and enjoy the magic of a clear mind. For more info, you can always visit heatherlillico.com or follow her on Instagram at heather underscore L-I-L. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me back. My pleasure. So full disclosure, I'm a moody SOB and I I have my good days and my bad days, but I've never had a panic attack before, but I understand it's not that rare. And I understand you have some experience with it, yeah? I do, actually, yeah. I started having panic attacks when I was in university, and I remember I had my first one at a crowded party, and my heart started to be fast, my palms got all sweaty, I felt like I was going to black out. So I locked myself in a bathroom, and I remember sliding down the wall, waiting for it to pass, thinking that I was pretty much dying. And ever since then, I've had panic attacks until about two years ago. At this point, I'm now over two years panic attack free. Do you get a little medallion for that? Or is that just, is it internal? I should make one. Don't you think? I should make myself one. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) So for those who don't know, what are the manifestations of a panic attack? How would you know if you were having one? 
Yeah, well, it can be different for everybody. And somebody might not experience the same symptoms every time, or you might not have all of the symptoms. But some of the common ones are having things like a sudden rush of fear, your heart beating fast, a feeling of pressure, sort of like someone sitting on your chest, or maybe you can't get a full breath. You might be hyperventilating, shaking, feeling like you're going to black out. That was always a common one for me. I would have to lean against something to sort of get my bearing. You might feel faint or dizzy. And if we think about what's happening in the body, it's really that your body is in true fight-or-flight survival mode, and it's the very high end of the spectrum of nervous system activation. And having these sensations, they suck. There's really no other way to put in. I mean, I could put it stronger, but I probably yeah. wouldn't get invited back to your show. So well, you'd be for surprised. For now, they, they suck. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of symptoms happening in the body, but really it's not about just that. It also having these panic attacks changes how you live your life. Like when I was having them, I would often have them when I was running. And so I stopped running for a while because I was scared of getting them. Or maybe you have them in crowded places, so you avoid going to concerts or really like living your life fully. Well, you know, I have issues with parties and crowds. I actually don't like them. I don't get panic attacks, but they're just not my favorite. I, I do better on my own. I'm more of an introvert. But is it extrinsic events that cause panic attacks or is it internal? What are the triggers for panic attacks? Yeah, well, I mean, it can be both because it can be these external triggers like, you know, loud, bright lights and a lot of things in the external environment. And it can also be Things that we ingest or take into our body, like caffeine, for example, can be a big trigger for a lot of people. Alcohol, too much sugar, those can all be triggers that can lead to panic attacks. Or it might just be something that in the environment that your body has deemed as dangerous, and maybe it's more on a subconscious level. You didn't notice that your body was making that distinction, but something has cropped up that your body says, you better watch out here, we got to be on high alert. Okay, so we've described how it might be triggered and we've explained what it might feel like. Now let's impart some good news because you're here to tell us how we might be able to stop a panic attack if we're having one. Absolutely, yeah. So there's a couple different techniques and one of the ones that I like the most is a technique of grounding. And grounding helps bring you back to the present moment so that you can see that you are safe, you're not in any danger. So one of my favorite ones is called the 54321 technique. So let me walk you through it. Sure. We start off with listing five things that we can see. So all of this uses our senses. So you might see the road outside. Maybe you see your desk, your computer, and it's helpful to be specific. And you could see these in your head. I find it really helpful to actually write them down. Mm -hmm. So five things that you can see. And then we move on to four, four things that you can touch. So maybe it's with your hands. You can feel the fabric of your clothes. Perhaps you're reaching out and touching your computer and the buttons. Maybe you're using your feet, feeling them connecting into the floor. Maybe it's your sit bones in the chair whatever you can touch. And then on to three, three things that you can hear, the hum of your computer, the birds outside, traffic going by, whatever you can pick up. On to two, two things that you can smell, maybe perfume, maybe there's soap on your hands, maybe you're lucky enough to have someone's cooking around, whatever you notice around you. Mm -hmm. And then finally, to taste, what is one thing that you can taste in your mouth right now? Maybe it's leftover from the meal before. Maybe it's some minty toothpaste. 
And so going through all of those, the five, four, three, two, one, it calms the nervous system activation that is in overdrive with a panic attack. And I've used this technique. I've used it with clients mid-panic attack. It's also one of the things I teach in 30 Days to Calm, my group program for anxiety. And I call it an anxiety SOS technique because it's so effective mid-panic attack. So let me ask you a little bit of specifics about that. If I'm going through the five, four, three, two, one, should I be focusing on positive sensations or does it really matter? Well, you could focus on any. I think it would probably be more calming to yourself if you focus on positive ones. But really what mindfulness teaches us is just to notice what's going on in the present without judging it. So it's really just you're listing these things, noticing as a way to help you pull back to the present so that we can get you kind of out of your head and all of this doom and panic and swirling of thoughts that's setting in during a panic attack, we can just come into the body and noticing what's happening. So is that the science behind it, that really what you're trying to do is distract your brain from dwelling on, I guess, the criteria or the the things that are causing you to panic? Yeah, you got it. It's all about the nervous system activation. And of course, the brain is related to the nervous system. And we're trying to get the nervous system to switch over to what we call the parasympathetic. So your rest and digest side, which is the opposite of fight or flight. And when you're in panic attack, you're in that fight or flight and it works kind of like a light switch. Like you're either in sympathetic fight or flight, or you're in parasympathetic rest and digest. So by bringing us back to the present, we can switch over the nervous system. Okay. What other techniques would you recommend if you're suffering from a panic attack that might be useful? I think acknowledging that a panic attack is what's happening, and hopefully with some of those symptoms I described, somebody can come to recognize one. And I like to say when we name it, we tame it. And it can reduce the anxiety if we understand what's going on. And while it's extremely uncomfortable to have these physical sensations, it's not physically dangerous to the body, and it will pass. So I think sometimes just reminding ourselves of this, this isn't permanent, This is going to come and go. I can handle this. Something like that can be really effective, too. When you get the panic attacks, do you have breathing issues? Like, do you find yourself short of breath? Absolutely, yeah. When I used to get them, I would have these short, shallow breaths that are sort of just in the chest. And one of the things I would also do would be to bring the breath down into the belly. Right. And that's another way to switch over the nervous system as well as we activate the vagus nerve, which is one of our big nerves involved in that parasympathetic rest and digest side so we can bring the breath down into the belly remind ourselves to take in that oxygen and to calm down so let's say somebody has had a panic attack and they've managed to sort of work their way through it is there anything we can do after the panic attack to help us definitely and to all my anxiety warriors out there so much love and compassion to you for going through this i think post-panic attack, really important to be kind to yourself. This is not your fault. You didn't try to bring this on. So offer yourself some words of compassion. And then usually after a panic attack, somebody feels pretty depleted. So I recommend take it easy. And if you can, try to eat something because when we're in that high fight or flight mode, our appetite goes way down. We don't we don't care about eating in that moment, but it's good to replenish afterwards. And usually after a panic attack, your blood sugar will be a bit unstable. So good to have something very gentle, very nourishing for the body, like a soup, like miso soup or a broth-based one. It's one of my favorite ones. 
post-panic attack. And you might find as well that you're sensitive to light and sounds after a panic attack. So Mm -hmm. consider dimming the lights, soft music. And this could be a time, too, for a bit of journaling to maybe identify what are some of the triggers, what happened to lead up to this. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's what we do if we've had a panic attack. Is there any way to prevent them? I mean, I, I wish I had the, you know, the full answer uh, to prevent everybody's panic attack in the first place. But I think some of the things we want to consider are those triggers that we talked about. So the caffeine, alcohol and sugar, because those are leading to nervous system activation. So consider, you know, how those are affecting you. And then we want to have a good baseline overall level of nutrition. So focusing on anti-anxiety nutrients like magnesium, zinc, your omega-3s, your B vitamins, lots of real whole foods, nuts, seeds, whole grains, leafy greens, all of these provide the nutrients that you need to help you feel calm. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me back. That was Heather Lillico. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss lockdown fitness trends on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Fine and Associates are family lawyers who dedicate themselves to dealing with separation and divorce matters every day. They specialize in custody, access, child and spousal support, and division of family property. It's their mission to resolve all issues amicably. But, if necessary, they're prepared to go to court and fight strongly on your behalf. Fine and Associates family lawyers are committed to achieving the results that you deserve to help you move forward with your life. If you're going through a separation or divorce, call 416-650-1300 to speak to Lauren Fine for a free initial phone consultation. For more information, visit torontodivorcelaw.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Stacey Irvine is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. The philosophy and identity of Totem have been greatly influenced by Stacey's love of athletics and her passionate belief that everyone will benefit from a healthy, active lifestyle in their own unique way. Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. She's made several appearances as a fitness expert on CityLine, Canada AM, Global Television Network, City TV, WTN, and is frequently quoted as a fitness expert in Chatelaine, Glow Magazine, More Magazine, Zoomer, and the Toronto Star. And of course, she's a regular on the show. Welcome back. How are you? I'm great. Here we are, 2021. yippee ki <laughs> doesn't feel a lot different than 2020, but I'm hopeful. (laughs) I've been telling people that every day feels like an endless Sunday when you know that the Monday you have a ton of work ahead of you. That's what every day feels like to me today. 
Right. That is true. Yeah, I totally get it. But we're going to come with some positive energy. We're going to yeah. We're going to talk about some of the things that people have been doing to keep active, right? Because not everybody's been sitting around on their duffs. No, and and I think that is the key thing. And I I think a lot of people have learned that they have to do something. Yeah. I think we actually have more people, you know, taking that initiative to be active than we did before this whole pandemic started because we just, everybody realized for their mental health, they had to, you know, get moving, get outside, those types of things. So I guess that's one silver lining. Well, yeah, I guess they've all become tonic people, right? Because we yeah. always, we're always preaching about the interconnectedness of, of all aspects of your life, physical, diet, yeah. mental health, all that stuff. And I think, uh, yeah, I think the pandemic has sort of brought that home. I think you're absolutely right. All right. So what is the number one fitness trend that you've seen flowing from? I'm not even calling it a pandemic anymore. It's a plague. (laughs) What do you see as the number one trend? Definitely home workouts. Okay. So, you know, and I, I attribute this to people who are like, oh my God, it's crazy. We're doing all this stuff from home. And and I kind of say to them, don't you remember like Jane Fonda, Richard Simmons? Like, like we've done this before. We've been here before. However, it is a whole new level that we are, you know, basically embracing right now, which I love. So obviously Peloton, yeah. they were very lucky. They were early. They started their, you know, kind of mass promotion and marketing prior to the pandemic. Yeah. And I even think their sales were slowing down. And then the pandemic hit and it went straight through the roof. So that's one that we've all noticed probably. We see the trucks driving around and we know people probably that are doing that. That one has taken off. We have some other companies like The Mirror and, you know, some other home workout platforms that are getting on board. But what I think is fantastic, and even, you know, what we did at Totem is we all quickly figured out how to live stream classes. And isn't that wonderful that I know that you participate in classes that you could jump on with your community and with your friends that you train with regularly, and you could do a workout together, but you're all in your homes, and that is super convenient. And I love that people have embraced that. You know, my wife, Naomi, and my daughter, Sarah, both take a yoga class that's being taught by one of the Raptors coaches' wives. So now she's on the West Coast because the Raptors Raptors are doing their last minute failure tour of California. (laughs) And she's teaching yoga classes like from Sacramento that my family has taken. One's in Kingston and one's here. And that's kind of, I think that's a way for people to connect, right? Like like it it isn't isn't just the endless Zoom calls. God bless them. Thank God, yeah. You know, like you can take these classes and you, you can kind of be together when you're not. Yes. And I think that that is the thing. That is the key piece we all want to take from this Yeah, is that don't spend your time surfing and surfing and looking for all the free stuff and, you know, kind of going through that deep dive of the internet. What am I going to do for a class? I think it's much more effective to do what your wife and your daughter have done, which is find an instructor you love then get in with that community and stay with that community because then you're going to feel rewarded from being a part of the community. So the instructor knows your name. The instructor knows like things that you do with your technique. To me, that is the real value 
in what's happening online right now with fitness yeah. classes. And then when you go on vacation, you could be anywhere in the world and you can still, oh, you know, it's nine o'clock. That's when my yoga group meets. Okay, I'm going to, you know, go down to the beach and I'm going to do my nine o'clock class with my group. I'm going to say hi to everyone. I think that that is so exciting and just a really fantastic development that, you know, probably has occurred as a result of the plague. Yeah, and I, I know you're speaking specifically there of instructors who are conducting classes, but even like circling back to like Peloton, like sign of the times is I have a weekly poker game that we play online and then, you know, we have a Zoom meeting going on so we can kibitz while while we're playing. And the conversation like veered into like, who is their favorite Peloton instructor, right? Which is like, I was trying to think of like, whether that conversation at a poker game would have ever occurred like two years ago. And the the answer I will tell you is no, it would not. But now that is a topic of conversation amongst my, you know, 50s or so year old friends at a poker game, which spinning instructor they like best online, right? Yeah, I think that that is fantastic. And I do think when you look at these huge companies like a Peloton, I do think that some of those top instructors are actually going to go to the level of rock star status because think of how many people they are teaching every single day. It's in the hundreds of thousands. Yep. That's just an amazing kind of mind-blowing thing when you really think about it. Let's shift gears from high tech to low tech. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about some of the things that people are doing to get outside. Like, I want to hear something bizarre. I heard there was a run on snowshoes. Oh, there's not just a run on snowshoes. I had to get um, some Nordic skis for a segment that I was doing for CityLine. And the waiting list was 275 people. Oh, my gosh. You could not get them. And I said, I just need to borrow them for two hours. And they said, I don't have skis in here. So the issue is, I said, I said, how is that even possible? We knew this was coming. We knew that people would want to do that. And they said... Part of the issue is manufacturing in other countries. So all you have to be missing is, you know, one component that because that factory got closed down and all of a sudden we have a huge backlog. The same thing that happened with fitness equipment. So snowshoes, downhill skis, cross-country skis, they are in such huge demand. And unfortunately, they're tough to get. So I'm telling a lot of people, you know, get to the thrift shop, talk to your friends, see if you can borrow some, because, you know, this stuff is also, it's not inexpensive. And everybody wants everyone else out using it. So I think we can kind of communicate, you know, use your Facebook group and say, who has snowshoes? I need them at this day, at this time. Can I borrow some? And I think that that works out quite well when we do it that way. I agree. You know, the truth of the matter is when everybody starts getting back to work, everybody's going to be selling all their equipment anyways. If you want to wait, if you, if you want to wait to get the cheap equipment. But, you know, the, I think the lesson is if there's already a run on the winter goods, mm-hmm. you might want to get it in front of the summer sporting mm-hmm. goods, because when that season rolls around, it's the same issue, right? Like get on the bikes. Again bikes. And, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I have another fun one for you. How about puppies? How many puppies are you seeing everywhere? Oh my everywhere? gosh, I know. My dog <laughs> kind of looks at me like, not another one that's jumping up on me. My my four-year-old dog and I, we go for a walk. We see the 18 new puppies who are like, but you know, I worry when everybody goes back to work, like what happens to all those puppies who have had everybody around them all the time? Like even- I do too. We have to figure out puppy Zoom or something like that. But you know, my dog has been a godsend. Like as, oh, as, as much as I hate doing all the walks in one day, like making sure that I'm getting out for an hour with a walk 
for my own peace of mind, it's been tremendous. It's been huge. And they're talking about, you know, further restrictions. And those of us with dogs could be the only people let out after curfew, which, you know, makes your dog a very hot commodity these days. I'm going to be starting the tonic rent-a-dog business. Rent-a-dog. So that people can get outside. They can take my dog for a walk. I love that. And, you know, I have to think it's been long enough. Yep. And you and I both know how we feel about our dogs. Yeah. I, I really hope, I, you know, I, I deeply, deeply wish, because I don't just love dogs, I also love outdoor activity. Yep. And I'm seeing people, I'm seeing my teenagers say to their friends, let's meet up at an outdoor rink and yep. let's go skating together. Mm-hmm. And I think once you experience these things, and once you experience how huge the positive health benefits are and how good you feel after... I really, really hope that they continue, and I hope that when people go back to work, they say, you know what, I'm going to come in at 9, because I'm walking my dog from 7.30 till 8.30, then I'm going to get changed, and then I'm going to come in. Yep. And I do really think that our priorities have shifted, and I just hope that that really sticks, because all those things that we're talking about, the dogs, the outdoor hiking, the skiing, those are so important for our health and our well-being that I just really hope we hang on to those. I hope everybody has the time. I I really think time will be the issue. I agree. But I think people understand the benefits. I mean, a lot of people are talking big. I have a lot of friends and they're all uh, prognosticating as to like, you know, what are the material changes that are going to occur? And everybody Mm -hmm. says, I'm going to be kinder and I'm going to continue walking and doing the proof will be in the pudding. We'll circle back. Why don't we agree that we're going to circle back later this year and see if we're right okay i would absolutely love to do that fantastic thank you so much for coming on the show today thank you it was my pleasure we have to take a short break but we will be right back on the tonic the big carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local organic non-gmo and sustainable food systems since 1983 they're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Vito Marinuzzi was born and raised in Toronto's East End and came up in the restaurant industry the old-fashioned way through nepotism. His cousin, restaurateur Gio Rana, hired him as a 15-year-old dishwasher and busser and later gave him a shot as a waiter. Vito's job was as much to fight the prevailing whitewashed version of Italian food in Toronto as it was to get people to try the good stuff. And he did. 
Now, as a co-owner with his famous mom of two locations of Seven Numbers on the Danforth and Eglinton West, Vito knows that the food his kitchens prepare not only preserve that culinary heritage, but innovate within it. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year. How are you? Et cetera, et cetera. Good. I never get tired of the intro. Beefs up my ego before I come on. Well, that's that's what it's all about. I wish somebody would like call me in like that. I'd like to come yeah, in like exactly. I'd like to come in like Rocky. I, I just come in solo. So you know, I know you and I have been calling it. It's not a pandemic. It's a play. So, so what have you learned? What has the plague taught you about the restaurant industry? What's your takeaway? Well, geez, I mean, that's a massive question. It'll take two hours to answer, but I mean, like, quickly, like the Coles Notes version. Sure. I mean, fortunately, as humans, you know, we're naturally adaptable. So everybody adapts, and that was the best part. But I mean, number one, your team, I mean, that becomes... Uh, an incredible asset. I mean, and your team is worth their weight. And I tell you, after this year, you likely won't forget things they did and people that kind of rose to the top. And then the second, like the big one, I mean, rest. It sounds crazy. You know, when the pandemic hit in March, you know, we found ourselves like nothing to do, worrying, 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 you know, waiting for the dust to settle. It became clear, you know, that wasn't happening. And then there's a silver lining. And, uh, you know, prior to the pandemic, like the simple blessing in life was often overlooked in favor of the hustle. And, you know, and you just kept hustling. So, I, I mean, I think this is a lesson you're going to retain today, tomorrow and beyond that, you know, you get to the silver lining is you get rest and spend time with the family and recharge. Yeah, that was that was a big one like that. I never like the hustle was the hustle. And that was that. And you forego, you know, being home early for dinner because, you know, you're busy at work. So, like, between the team and, and that family rest, like, that was pretty awesome. And the last big one would be communication. Like, it became so essential in the confusion of the shutdowns, social distancing, and group mandates. You know, it became, like, our sole responsibility to keep our clients informed. Yeah. You know, and, and normally you'd be doing production and prep and shopping, and I was foregoing that. And the team was picking that up, and I was spent my time updating clients and then, you know, keeping staff informed and safe. So it was... It was, you know, crazy times. I took took a lot out of it. And I think you're right. Like communication, like just you're right across the board. But let's focus on communication for a second, because, you know, clients are your lifeblood. Right. So like all those things that are probably look like they're collateral to your business. Right. Like, you know, social media, all the rest of it all of a sudden becomes so important because everybody's sort of scrambling. Like, is this place open? Is it still, you know, how many days a week are they there? What, are they right. doing takeout? What are they do? Like, what are they doing? I butted heads a million times with, you know, one of our close friends and many other people about, I just stayed consistent, even though yeah. it was totally wrong and it cost me money. But, you know, we stayed open the same hours on the same days and it did not change ever. And that was the, I think that was a good thing. So it was painful. In retrospect, you know, being kind to yourself and not critical, was there anything you would have done differently in terms of the running of the restaurants? I, I got to be honest, not really, no. I mean, I, would, I wish I could have reacted faster, maybe on, you know, setting up an online platform or being ahead of the curve in that sense. But, you know, you get stuck in a, I don't want to say stuck in a rut, but, you know, you're operating a business and people come in for dinner and you, you just kind of keep that wheel in motion. So maybe the time it took me to react, even though I feel like it was fairly quick, I probably could have done a better job at that. So, you know, the real pivot for a lot of restaurants is is just the focus, obviously, to takeout, right? And right. Is this sustainable? The restaurants that have pivoted to takeout, are they going to have to pivot back to dining in in oh, order yeah. to be viable? The short answer is no, it's not. I mean, uh, not with any longevity. I mean, in the short term, of course, we're doing it to survive, but it's not profitable. The problem is that at inception, we didn't set up our businesses for takeout, right? Mm-hmm. I don't need a 2,000-square-foot dining room. I don't need 
$5,000 chandeliers. I don't, you know, it's all these things that are, we've already put into place. Also, like, you don't have $5,000 chandeliers <laughs> combined at all, the, all the lighting, maybe, yeah, but, maybe. you know, like we're only giving if it's also like a problem for us. We, again, we're not set up where we're giving you 50% of what we offer. I mean, we're, yeah, of course, you know, we consider ourselves a stage production. Any restaurant does a big theater, yep. you know, we're putting our food in a container and sending it. It's not getting any better. I don't have food that gets better in a container. Nobody and you does. Forget, right. And you forget how easy it was to put food in a plate. Yep. And I think that's sort of, it's separating those who are succeeding, at least keeping afloat with the takeout, from those who I don't really think are doing a great job because... I mean, you've got to split. Some restaurants yeah. can't. They can't pivot to takeout. It just doesn't work. Their right. location doesn't work. You know, I live, you know, uptown. And I drive by the Miller and a couple other places. Like, they just can't pivot to takeout. There's no... It doesn't exist. Yeah, but, very very tough. But then you know, in the short term, to survive, stay relevant, uh, stay in touch with your customers, keep your staff working. Yeah, of course, we we pivot, we do it. It's going to work with government subsidies. It's, you know, here we are. Yeah, you're looking at obviously, and I'm asking you in the role of the restaurateur. You know, what does that mean? What does success mean? And and how did that pivot work for you? I'm also going to sort of put out there because I know you also order in yourself, right? Like, right. you know, what I'm seeing what's working, what's not. It's those who figured out, you know, which dishes aren't going to degrade if they're being, you know, if they're in a container for 20 minutes or 25 minutes or however long it takes to get out there, right? Like, right. What, what can they actually execute? Who was actually executing? before right like because if they were capable of, of packaging stuff up and getting it out there they're probably doing a reasonable job of it now right guys who are doing it well before are the ones that are thriving now right because they had the protocol in place right they already knew how to do it they already had priced it out they already knew how to get the supplies and everything and, and they're just knocking it out of the park yeah yeah i mean i can think of you know the sushi restaurant nearby that we use off i mean they were probably doing i might i haven't asked them but i mean i bet you he was doing 30 percent of his sales in takeout before the pandemic, and now he's at 100%. He loves it. He shaved away all the expenses. Right. He's got a small shop, so now he's just got three guys rolling sushi, no servers, and he's kind of running a really tight ship and probably thriving. Are you planning out, or are you just kind of taking things as they come, right? Because we're still in the middle of it, right? But like, are, are you planning for the post-COVID future, or are you just saying, this is my reality now, and I'm just going to continue until I hear something else is going on? A, a little bit of both. I mean, it's time-consuming to operate right now. It's, it's like, you know, no staff, no suppliers, doing a lot of things yourself. So I don't have a ton of time left over after all that. But, yeah, I mean, like we're working on putting in permanent heating on our patio on Danforth. We are putting a roof over our patio on Eglinton. Like, we're just doing things that, like, the first thing will be outdoor dining. When that happens, that would be absolutely as ready as possible. As well, I think we taught Toronto that outdoor dining, you know, we can do it. And the rules have been relaxed, and more people are dining outdoors. And it's, you know, I use Paris as an example. Like, they dine outside 12 months a year. Granted, they don't have negative 40. But you put on a coat and a toque, and you have a heater, and you drink your wine with, you know, like we, we got good at that as Toronto. And normally we would complain about that. But during the pandemic, it's shaped us. Are you doing your own deliveries or are you using the delivery services? Both. You know, we partner with a delivery service to do our, so we have 7numbers.com. Yep. And either we turn on the delivery service where they do it or we turn it off and I do it or one of the people at work does it. And then we use Uber and I've dropped the other two now. But I know that, like, you know, food delivery services have been, you know, top of mind and the media loves it. But, like, in the end, I mean, listen, convenience trumps all. I mean, they exist because of demand and enough said, right? Do we dislike them? Sure. I mean, they're a middleman adding a surcharge. But the relationship didn't stand a chance in that front. 
But the public wants it. Like, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't use Uber Eats. But, like, you're laying on your couch and the kids are hungry and off you go. I'm with you, but I'm kind of getting pissed. I'm, I'm going to get up on my soapbox now. Like, we ordered yep. from a restaurant that will remain nameless, and we used one of the food services that will remain nameless. And it tacked on $40 to our order. And to my mind, you know, and already respectfully, like the food that you're ordering in is never going to be as good as if you're eating it in the restaurant. It just isn't, right? It's impossible, right? right? It's not possible, right? So I'm paying for, you know, and I love to go out and I love that experience. I don't have that anymore. So the salt in the wound is paying like a premium of $40 to get food, which isn't as good as if we went to that restaurant. And it's not the restaurant's fault, but I'm actually seeking out the restaurants that are doing their own deliveries because it's much cheaper for the consumer, I think. And I think those restaurants are doing it because they understand that if they control the delivery process and it isn't too taxing on their infrastructure, it's a better experience for the people that are ordering in. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've done the same thing. I've called the restaurant directly and said, you know, do you do your own delivery? No, we don't. Okay, good. I'll come pick up. And then it's immediate. Oh, you'll get a 10% discount if you pick up or you'll get a, a discount if you pay cash. Or you know, in our case, we usually, for the pickup orders, we'll put in a couple of desserts or an extra full cash. Like we have yeah. 30% to play with. Yeah. So, I mean, the leeway is there for me to say, hey, James, here's a bottle of champagne. And you're like, what? Yeah. Well, that's actually cheaper. It's, it's 12 bucks versus the 30 bucks that you're going to pay the other way. Yeah, so to everybody who's listening, you might want to consider picking it up yourself or, or speaking to the restaurant to see if they can deliver it to you, and you might have a better experience. That would be my tip of the day. Well, I think, you know, in light of the current weather, we're lucky. I mean, if there's yeah. or 10 feet of snow outside, or, you know, people, we don't want to go out. But right yeah. now, for sure, 100%, call the restaurant directly. Or if you already had your edibles, you know, you're probably not, you're probably <laughs> not going to pick it up. You probably want the food there immediately. But I think the legalization of cannabis and the uh, growth of Uber are directly linked. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if the cannabis companies have a piece of Uber. <laughs> Time for one last question. And, you know, we're, we're just spitballing here, but is there anything that you see coming out of the pandemic that you think is a trend that is going to have more legs? I mean, I mean, not a food trend, but a trend in general. Sure. Yeah. I mean, working from home isn't going away ever. Like, I don't think that's ever going away. So I think that ensures that takeout volumes will always be up. Yeah. You know, I don't see that stopping. And I assume like uh, most of us will be upping our takeout game as time goes on. Right? And then once the dust settles, there'll be a whole bunch of us that are doing a great job at takeout. And, you know, remember back in the day, every restaurant, you'd see lots and lots of restaurants that had their own delivery guys. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, they have those guys sitting up back on a milk crate who delivers. I think you're going to start to see a little bit of that come back in its own way, you know, and then takeouts and drive throughs and convenience items always being available, you know, and delivery demand will, will continue to grow in that sense where we broaden our offerings. And then we'll also broaden, you know, maybe we'll start doing our own deliveries or teaming up as restaurants. Like a one block could have the same four guys that they're bringing out for all 10 restaurants. But I think that's going to, that's not going away. That's a trend that's going to continue. I mean, convenience, I mean, we love convenience as humans. I think you're right. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you come again soon? Absolutely. Anytime. Fantastic. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Matt Rosenblatt, Heather Lillico, Stacey Irvine, and Vito Marinuzzi. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. 
For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The January-February issue is now available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss herbal remedies for more energy, cooking without a recipe, how to turn failure into learning, and ideas on how to socialize healthfully with friends during COVID. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.